Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, well, welcome back, Solar Warriors, Climate Champions. This is another Tactical Tuesday here on Suncast. These are conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career and grow with us in this clean energy revolution here on Suncast. If Thursdays are thoughtful insights into the who of the industry, consider this the what, when, how, where, the tools of the trade, if you will. And very often, as is today, we bring you content from one of our many live broadcasts and trainings. This one in particular is coming to you from the most recent live event that we've held, which is RE+, where we partnered with the conference to bring the Power Up Media Zone to life. At the Media Zone, we interviewed industry thought leaders, personalities, executives, and founders to glean their insights about the current trends and where the industry is going. This is one such interview, and I know you are going to love it. And if you're new here, I would hope that you will subscribe to the show. I hope that we earn your attention and trust after today's conversation. Of course, you can find more than 525 additional founder stories and startup advice over in our catalog of back conversations at mysuncast.com. You will also find all of the conversations that we streamed live from the Power Up Media Zone over on YouTube. If you just search Suncast Media or if you just put in to YouTube the channel marker for Suncast Media, it's all one word, Suncast Media, you will certainly find our channel and become one of our more than 1,000 subscribers to that channel as well. For now, let's get down to business and tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, with another practical, tactical, live conversation from RE Plus here on Suncast. Thanks, folks, for being here in the room and uh, online. Uh, my name is Sean Romery. I'm Senior Director of Research at the Solar Energy Industries Association. Reintroduce um, yourself. Silvia Leva Martinez. I am a Senior Analyst at Whitmac, and I cover North America utility-scale solar. So super excited to be here. Great. So Sylvia and I are here to discuss some findings from our most recent U.S. Solar Market Insight report. The report is something that SIA and first GTM Research, now uh, Wood McKenzie, has been working on since 2010. So it's, it's really the longest running kind of standard industry trends report uh, in the industry. And I think it's still kind of the flagship, right? It, it's, it's the main one. We, we track deployment trends across all four market segments, residential, commercial, utility scale, and community solar. Uh, we do, uh, Sylvia's team does demand forecasts across all of those channels, all 50 states, uh, five-year forecasts. And then once a year, we do 10-year forecasts. Mm-hmm. We also track pricing trends, manufacturing trends. It's the definitive report for solar market updates uh, in the industry. Uh, and so we're going to be discussing some findings from that. Just a, a quick marketing plug. We do make the report available in executive summary, summary form on our websites, sea.org, uh, uh, woodmac.com, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so you can find the executive summary there. We have a full report version where you can get all the data I just discussed in a 70-page report that features vignettes on 
on each of the markets, on many of the state markets. And then uh, you also get a pretty extensive database with all of those forecasts. And so it's uh, CM members get a very significant discount on that report. Uh, and I know a lot of folks find it very, very valuable. We certainly do on, on CSN. Yep. So we're going to be talking about some findings from that report. Sylvia's on the utility scale end. And so we're, we're really going to mainly be focusing on utility scale. Um, but let me just bring us up, up to speed here quickly on where we are through the end of Q2 2022. We saw a solid Q2, but not, not what we expected when the year started, right? So when the year started, we, we were looking at, you know, after record growth in 2021, where 24 gigawatts were installed, uh, going into 2022, we were expecting, you know, close to 30 gigawatts being installed with a good bulk of that coming from utility scale. I think maybe 20 gigawatts yep. of, of utility scale, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, starting at the beginning of the year, we started seeing a lot of supply chain challenges, as, as many folks are aware, most of that stemming from the pandemic. And then uh, layered on top of that, uh, in the spring was the oxen trade case, which overnight uh, created major, major, major issues uh, in uh, module supply and module pricing, which led to the slowdown, postponement, in some instances, cancellation of uh, many particular utility scale projects. Even after President Biden issued his executive order in the spring, you know, it led to some relief there, but, but not total relief because of the uh, Uyghur Forced Labor uh, Pretension Act and companies trying to um, get their paperwork together on that, as we'll talk about here in a second. And so that, that was kind of the low point of the solar coaster, right? And then fortunately in August, just <laughs> like a month ago, it seems like an eternity ago because we've been doing a ton of work on it. But a month ago, we had the uh, Inflation Reduction Act was passed, which is, has a ton for the renewable energy industry, as, as I'm sure everyone here has heard. Uh, and that has really supercharged forecasts going forward, as we'll discuss. But, you know, the supply chain issues are still, still yeah, kind of a problem. Definitely. So let, let's, um, now that we've kind of level set, that's where we are today, right? So we're, we're not looking at 30 gigawatts this year, probably closer to 15 to 17 gigawatts, right? Yes. And so let, let's talk, let's dig in a little bit more there. I'll give you an opportunity <laughs> to speak here about some of these challenges. So I, I just kind of set the stage. We have all these supply chain challenges. Can you dive in, Sylvia, into a little bit more detail on, on how some of these issues uh, have expected, uh, have, have impacted deployment expectations for the year? Uh, particularly uh, on the UFLPA, uh, yes. because I think that is the one that folks are still dealing with. It's front of mind for many folks. And, and can you talk a little bit, particularly on how that is impacting the forecast for utility-scale solar? Of course. So I think we all agree that the IRA has been great news for the industry, and we're do- taking that into consideration for our forecast. But in the short term, we're still having supply constraints and just because of all the items that you just mentioned. Right now with UFLPA, um, there's a lot of uncertainty because there are still modules detained by CBP. And there is just like not clarity about how to get these modules released. When is that going to happen? And this is all the way back because of a uh, lack of quartzite documentation. So if you remember last year, there were already modules uh, detained at port because during the WRO because of polysilicon documentation. Now with quartzite, it's going like steps beyond into supply chain. So it's more complicated to get documentation for that. So right now, I think everyone in the industry is just waiting to get more information about it from CBP. What is going to happen? What does clear and concise evidence of what acceptable documentation to prove quartzite uh, comes from or looks like? And then is when we're going to see relief in the utility scale segment in particular, because most of the projects in the utility scale segment rely on imported modules. So I think as of right now, is we're just waiting to see what is going to happen. We're going to see an answer to that. And that is the main factor affecting 
the short-term build-out. So for 2022, we're expecting around 8 gigawatts of utility-scale deployment, not only because of UFLPA, but with the oxygen investigation and all the changes in the market that have happened, it has become extremely tricky for developers to negotiate contracts, negotiate PPA prices, and establish a, a firm COD. You had mentioned Oxen, uh, and obviously that was big news uh, in the spring to many of us, came out of nowhere. I remember we were, we were at a conference in New York when that was announced, yep. and uh, immediately, like, you, you know, <laughs> we had to go into like kind of disaster mitigation mode and we had to start communicating what this meant for the industry. Can you bring us up to speed on Oxen as well? Because uh, folks haven't heard as much about it since, I think, the Biden executive order. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what the Biden executive order did and then where we are in the Oxen case? Sure. Actually, it was funny because we were at the Woodmac Energy Storage Summit in June. Mm. And then we had just published the Q2 SMI. And that same week, the executive order passed. So we were like, OK, what we're going to do? We were talking to manufacturers during the conference. And they said, like, we're ready to ship again to the U.S. So there was a lot of optimism on that side, which was mitigated by the UFOPA. So talking about the solar coaster, I think that was a clear example. (laughs) But right now, the decision, the Department of Commerce was slated to uh, give a preliminary decision in September, but now this has been pushed November. So just, I think, again, everyone's waiting, but with the executive order that gives them like some room to, Mm -hmm. to see like what is going to happen, developers will have the opportunity to diversify their procurement during this two year period. But, Again, like everyone is still waiting for from a preliminary decision and then a final determination from the Department of Commerce. So you're, the, the, the main takeaway from Woodmac then, right, is pending, you know, more information around UFLPA, maybe mid to late 2023, we start returning to a, a kind of a supply environment that looks a little bit more normal. Mm, that's the expectation if UFLPA is cleared. If. So okay. dependent okay. On, on what happens with UFLPA. And getting acceptable uh, quartzite documentation. Right, right. And we, we have seen a few shipments released from that. Is that right? What I have heard is that there are only like small scale orders. Okay. But okay. not necessarily from right. tier one manufacturers or large scale orders. So okay. still expecting okay. what's going to happen there. So sorry to dwell on that, but it, it's important because oh. it, it hasn't been discussed as much at, at the show as, as I think it should be. So, so. Again, that's kind of the low on the solar coaster, but yeah. the, the highest of highs uh, was uh, uh, the passage of the IRA yeah. um, uh, in, in August, which on the CN, <laughs> you know, we had been working on nonstop really since Biden was elected. And even after, you know, like the, the news cycle stopped paying attention and saying it was dead, you know, it was still front of mind for us. And I wouldn't say it was shocking for us to, to see a, a, a deal brokered, but obviously still exciting. And that energy has continued to carry over, I think, into the show, which is, <laughs> has been very exciting for all of us. I think everyone has, has felt kind of the, the jam-pack meeting rooms. But let's, um, let's get into the weeds here a little bit on IRA. I think most folks hopefully are aware of the, the various components of the bill for them. Let me, let me just very quickly summarize. So the bill obviously features a, a 10-year extension to the ITC and PTC. Transferability of the commercial ITC and direct pay for certain non-residential customers. Commercial ITC credit adders for projects cited in an energy community, which, plug for SIA, we just created a nice energy community map that is accessible to our members on our website. I would encourage you to check that out because a lot of folks have questions. What is an energy community? Like, am I going to get an adder on this project? So check that out. There's also uh, a pocket of money for projects serving low-income cu- low income customers for uh, commercial ITC projects. Uh, the ability to add interconnection costs for certain small utility-scale projects into your ITC basis, which is, I think, important for a lot of the smaller Northeast projects, especially. 
And then the standalone ITC for storage, there's manufacturing incentives, both on the investment side and the production side uh, and, and a bunch of other stuff. But in addition to that, there's, there's kind of some conditionality on some of the ITC components, mm-hmm. which includes um, domestic content yep. conditions, as well as prevailing wage and apprenticeship. So it's a lot. Right, right. It used to be like analyzing the ITC impacts on, on deployment was just, okay, you throw a 30% tax credit on there yeah. and we go from there. But now, now there's a lot of things to weigh. Given what we know and the fact that the bill was just signed into law you know, less than a month ago, regulations have not been written yet. CIA is on really the, the front end of working with the administration to, to get additional guidance out to everyone. Given all that, given what we know right now, can you talk a little bit about kind of your initial sense of how the the IRA is going to impact utility scale deployment, you know, both in the near term and, and maybe in the longer term? Of course. I think um, in the latest forecast, we generate five-year forecasts that are published in the report. For the utility scale segment, we're expecting 162 gigawatts of utility scale build-out compared to 52 gigawatts that we were originally expecting in an scenario prior to the IRA. So... Yeah, there is going to be a huge boost to the industry. And the IRA has been the, the moment at which, with the most certainty for the industry, like never, ever, we have ever seen a 10-year extension, like that level of certainty for tax credit. So that definitely helps negotiations of PPAs, development of a project pipeline. So there's something that we have never seen before. For this particular forecast, we are considering three main elements. So the extension of the ITC, expansion of PTC to solar, because before it was only available for wind and transferability of tax credits, which is going to give smaller developers or developers that previously didn't have access to tax equity, which is like a more complicated or more complex uh, transaction process. It is just going to give the opportunity for them to have access to financing. So there is a, like a wealth of opportunities for, for developers. There's also, however, the fact that all the different elements that you mentioned, the adders, choosing between ITC versus PTC, tax equity versus transferability, developers have a lot to think about. But we do think like one way or another, everything is going to materialize and that's driving the, the forecast as we see it right now. There is going to be additional upside with all the adders because siding in energy communities, low income benefits for the utility scale segment, there are still some things that need to be figured out, more guidance from Treasury, more guidance from the IRS, but ultimately people are going to benefit from these adders and have like, additional upside in their projects uh, with like, considering all of these elements. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast. And you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry, Hex Solve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. 
See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Hey family, one quick reminder here that if you haven't yet joined Resource Labs, you are missing out. It is our outstanding community. It's the evolution of Suncast moving from presentations, you listening to us talk, to conversations. Our community involved in conversations as varied as powering Australia to green hydrogen to crypto and so many other things. Our newsroom is full of great insights. The main chat and even our RE Plus Where to Party At channel have been popping off. We've got more than 100 folks enjoying the community, and I would invite you in. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Come see how Resource Labs can help you grow your influence, impact, and income. See you inside. No, uh, we didn't prep at all for this. So I'm going to give you one that we didn't, we haven't talked about. But I know you've worked on this in the past um, with, with the, the option to take the PTC, mm-hmm. right? How how does that impact the market? Do, do we see a lot of uptake in that? Do we do we see that expanding demand at all, or do you, do do we just see it as another option for developers that's going to give them flexibility? We do see it expanding demand because ultimately it's more benefit for a single project, so more people are interested in investing in that. I have heard two different versions of choosing ITC versus PTC. One is like PTC, obviously, depending on the capacity factor of the project, you're going to have more benefit for that single project. So I agree with that. But also with ITC, you have the certainty of receiving a specific amount uh, and that is defined. So that's also talking about the risk profile of the developers and the investors as well and choosing one over the other. But we do think that that is going to drive demand up. Hmm. And then we mentioned the, the domestic content provisions. Do we see that as, as uh, we, we're primarily talking about upside here with many of the adders, mm-hmm. but do we, think, do we see the domestic content provisions at all, particularly considering that there's not a ton of domestic, domestic capacity for utility scale? Do we see that as perhaps having a, a countervailing effect on these forecasts at all? Not necessarily. I think it's more, there is going to be, we, we see it as an upside actually, but okay. it's not going to be in a two, three year period. Right. We have seen a lot of announcements regarding development of the domestic supply chain, but Again, we need to go back and see more guidance from Treasury, more guidance from IRS, like what does domestic content mean? What does it imply? And I have received questions from both developers and manufacturers. So I think once that is cleared, we're going to see all of these announcements materialize. And I know that domestic supply is going to be highly, highly sought after because of the adders. Right. So for as of right now, we consider it as an upside to the forecast. It's not factored in yet. And, and do you think for the, the next forecast in December, are we going to start factoring that in? Or is this a little bit further? I don't want to put pressure on you. No problem. Yeah. I think I, as of Good right point. now, we're, <laughs> we're just waiting for more guidance. And You're waiting after. for us to do our work, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, we'll try to do it quickly so we can start having <laughs> forecasts for everyone. Okay, uh, switching gears just a little bit here. So despite uh, some of the supply chain challenges that we've seen, and despite some of the challenges around UFLPA, uh, Oxen, We've still seen pretty solid procurement yep. over the past, I don't know, 18 months, right? There's been a little slowdown, but I mean, last quarter was record procurement. Why? <laughs> What's driving that procurement? Why does it seem to be fairly resilient? Uh, and can we expect that to continue? And, and again, this is on the utility scale side. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. I think that is going to continue. And it's safe to say everyone wants renewables. We're seeing it from the utility side. We're seeing it from the corporate side. More and more corporate entities are announcing very ambitious ESG goals, and that involves the development of renewables. So, And it's not only big tech. I know that the big announcements typically come from big tech, but we're seeing uh, pharma, we're seeing automobile uh, industry. 
uh, incursioning in, in renewable energy. So I think that is going to continue. We're seeing the corporate pipeline grow. We're also seeing on the utility side, more and more utilities are incorporating solar and hybrid carve-outs in their IRPs. Actually, we have around 50 gigawatts in the next five years only related to utility IRPs, and it grows to 100 gigawatts in a period of 10 years. So there is uh, a lot of like a lot of entities, a lot of stakeholders really want renewables. And what we have seen so far, that demand is going to continue. This last quarter, 10 gigawatts uh, were procured. Mm. And this has been like the growest bump that we have seen lately in, in procurement. Wow. And we're expecting that that is going to grow now with IRA because this, this 10 gigawatts was prior IRA. So now right. with, with all the different tax credits that are now available, I'm very sure that that is going to continue. Yeah. And so that puts the pipeline at, at what? 88 gigawatts. 88 gigawatts, right. And most of that is, is looking at the next like, three years for COB? Yes, exactly. Wow. Okay. I think that's a lot of build out. One, one um, kind of challenge, perennial challenge around uh, utility scale development is interconnection. Uh, <laughs> I know there's been a lot of activity at FERC uh, around that. Uh, we only have a few minutes left. Can you talk quickly about some of, of the things that are coming down the pipe at FERC and how they may help improve the interconnection situation? Sure. There are two main uh, proposed rules that are in the works right now, and that gives like, a lot of expectation to promote renewables, not only utility-scale solar. One of them is that now transmission providers need to incorporate renewables in their planning process. So they need to have an electrification scenario, 20-year forecast that is going to be updated every three years. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing, like just having a better view of, um, of transmission, how they are already incorporating renewables there is going to help development of utility scale. We also have that uh, utilities or the interconnection process itself needs to be slimmed. So that's the second proposed rule that FERC is working on. So just having more certainty of the projects that enter the queue to make sure that they are feasible, maybe adding penalties to projects that exit mm. the queue and elements such as cluster studies, for example. So just all of these processes to make the interconnection process more efficient and more transparent to everyone because I know that interconnection costs have been, have been an issue recently. And then I think selfishly as an analyst, it'll also make it more useful for us. Oh, <laughs> we definitely. Can, we, we can look at a queue and actually have a better sense of what that actually means in terms of, of build-out going forward. Okay, last question. Real softball here. You know, we, it's been a ton of changes there. There's been, you know, like the, the, all the models that we're putting together, we've had to almost throw out all the initial assumptions to put new ones <laughs> in. As you think about, you know, just the near term, next six to 18 months, what are the, the, the top two or three things that you are going to be focused most intently on and, and you think have the, the, biggest, the biggest likelihood to, to kind of change uh, demand projections going forward? Yes, I think the first one, and I think a lot of, of the audience here is looking for that, what is going to happen with UFLPA? Like, what right. are the first shipments going to be released? Yep. If CVP is going to require traceability for other raw materials, because right now it's just quartzite. But what happens if they ask for glass or aluminum? Mm-hmm. The conversation is going to change. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, the first thing. And the second one, is what is going to happen with the anti-circ investigation and receiving the preliminary determination from the Department of Commerce. So just see how the situation evolves with that because that could change the story in the next two years. Right, right. Okay, we'll leave it at that because I think we're just about at time. Uh, again, well, Sean Rumery, uh, Senior Director of Research at SIA, srumery at SIA.org. Feel free to, uh, to, to reach out to me. It's Sylvia, do you want to give your outro here? Sure. Sylvia Leva Martinez, Senior Analyst at Woodmac. Sylvia.leva at Woodmac.com. I think, I think both of us will hang around for a little bit if anyone has questions and anyone wants to chat. But otherwise, uh, thank you. Thanks to Nico for having us here. And uh, we'll uh, leave it to the next panel. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks again. All right. Well, 
Thank you so much for tuning in to today's live stream replay from RE Plus Power Up Media Zone. I want to thank once again the sponsors who helped make the Media Zone possible, in particular, Fluence, who is our presenting sponsor, and our wonderful supporting sponsors as well who contributed to the show. Thanks again to RE Plus for trusting us with half of your booth on the show floor. And thanks to each and every one of you who not only showed up here for this replay, but who showed up live on the show floor to help create that audience atmosphere and give us that feedback right from the show floor. I'd love to know what you learned from this conversation. If you'd go to mysuncast.com and click on the episode notes page, you'll find a link to the show notes for this episode right in your podcast player in the description. We always link to it. And in that show notes page, you'll easily find links to all of our social media. Would you take a moment and go on to LinkedIn, find the post that we've made for this episode, and let us know what you thought about this one in particular. I know that the guests would love to hear your feedback, and I would love to know how we can make this a more enjoyable experience for you or where exactly this landed and resonated for you. How does this episode help you push forward in your career, your business, your journey in this clean energy revolution? If you want to enjoy even more conversations like this, well, not only do we live stream the whole RE Plus event to our YouTube channel, which is also easily findable there in the show notes page, but we have more than 525 episodes, resources, highlights from all these discussions, along with social media links and each guest's book recommendations, their insights, and so much more over on our website at mysuncast.com. If you've been wondering how you could partner with Suncast, like one of our sponsors did for this live event, or like our many partners throughout the year have partnered on our mini episodes and our custom Tactical Tuesday episodes, or if you'd like to just inquire about potentially having me look at your business through the coaching lens or as an advisor and investor and help scale your clean energy business, well, you could find out how to do more of all of that by going over to mysuncast.com. We try to make it a little easier for you to find the path that meets your needs as you scale your personal and professional journey in the clean energy economy. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.